Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Well, Sean, I'm very excited about our conversation today because uh, I anticipate it's going to be filled with energy and joy and hope and uh, some really great stories, too. So like many organizations, PIR has a board of directors made up of a wide variety of folks who have experience and insight into the challenges of ministry and how to remain healthy as you minister in those challenges. And PIR's board includes pastors and ministry founders, authors, educators, and denominational leaders, all of whom provide an energy and passion for the work of PIR, and I might say are incredibly supportive of each of us laboring in that work. Mm. Each one also brings a unique perspective and expertise in ministry that makes us a deeper and richer organization. So how cool is it to be able to sit down today with one of our oh-so-wonderful board members and friends, Shalini Bennett? Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I've known Shalini for a number of years. Her husband, Bayard, uh, was one of my seminary professors, and so I got to know them years ago, and uh, it's just been a delight to uh, to get to know them over the years. And during the pandemic, uh, I had the privilege of being in a small group that met together uh, at her house uh, for church. We would meet out on the deck and uh, talk together about scripture, and boy, those were some rich conversations. And I have uh, have grown to appreciate Shalini's heart for pastors. Uh, and so, Shalini Bennett, we just want to welcome you to the Hope Renewed podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So we always start by asking uh, our guests to just tell us a little bit about their story, uh, what they do, and uh, how God led them to the place they're in today. Okay, well, it's kind of funny when uh, Tom was introducing by saying what amazing people there are on the board <laughs> I wanted to add and then there's me <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no. we have all these amazing people and then there's me so um I'm originally from India um that's the origin of the name Shalini I come from a family that's been Christian for generations in India grew up in the United States I can't remember a time I did not love the Lord um, married my husband, Bayard. He did his PhD um, at the University of Toronto. Through this whole journey of, of ours moving around and I guess doing ministry, because my husband is getting a PhD in theology, I feel like I'm this church lady, I guess. <laughs> I, had, I had a business career, but doing Bible studies, working for the Lord, spending a lot of time working for the Lord, doing things, um, but I really wasn't knowing him. I wasn't encountering mm. him personally. And we were doing a, a workshop on evangelism. We had hosted a workshop on evangelism. And the person doing the workshop said, if you are not spending time daily 
alone with the Lord in prayer and in the word, you don't need to get a workshop on evangelism. You can't introduce people to someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to be doing this. And that really cut me to the heart because I'd spent a lot of time in the word in order to teach someone else, you know, mm -hmm. with a commentary, um, praying for the ministry, but never just me and the Lord mm. with no agenda, Yeah, mm -hmm. not some work to do, not something to teach, but just me and the Lord. So I set a goal that I would spend 15 minutes a day and it, it doesn't sound like a lot. I had planned five minutes for scripture, five minutes for prayer and five minutes for journaling. And that seems like such a tiny amount, but for me, it was enormous because prayer without a script of something I was trying to do, it felt like talking to a wall, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Um, and reading scripture, I had a Canadian Bible Society lectionary so it just these passages and I had no contact. Like I had studied the word a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I would read it and think this feels like eating cardboard. Mm. I, I don't, this is not filling me. Mm. And I'm talking to a wall and I, what am I journaling? So it, it would look like this. I'd read the passages and then think, oh, I gave myself five minutes and now I have two and a half minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll read them again. And then for journaling, I would think I, I have nothing to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I would write, I don't like this passage. <laughs> I don't know why it's here. Mm. <laughs> like, okay. That took up 30 seconds. <laughs> now I have four and a half minutes left to journal. <laughs> like, then I'd write, I really don't like this passage. <laughs> Um, I remember reading, you know, I've never seen the righteous forsaken and going, that's just not true. In fact, I don't like it. And I don't think it's true. I feel like I've seen the righteous forsaken. Mm. So I was just being real with the text though, mm -hmm. and with the Lord, but being just unable to know what to do with it. Um, and then like, so we're going along, going along and suddenly I'm reading about Jacob and Esau. And I hear after Jacob has stolen Esau's blessing, I hear Esau saying, Father, is there no blessing left for me? And suddenly I saw myself completely differently. I've been doing so much good work for the Lord. I felt like I manipulated every situation so that I could rescue everybody hmm. and that I kept people from encounters with the Lord because I was rescuing them. I was making sure they never got to a point where they needed God. Hmm. I, I was saving them. And suddenly I saw myself, I'm Jacob, the manipulator, and I have robbed them of their blessing. Wow. And I hear Esau saying, Father, is there no blessing left for me? And I've lived this life where, you know, in addition to stealing people's blessings, <laughs> I have been 
doing this little kind of mental calculation, Jesus died for my sins. And now I'm going to make sure no more sins get put on the cross. (laughs) I'm going to take care of that little ledger. So when I do a bad thing, I fix the bad thing. I do a bad thing. I correct it. So Mm -hmm. my ledger is always clean. But now I don't know how to fix this. I can't. Mm -hmm. Jacob cannot give Esau back the blessing that he took. Mm -hmm. He's gone. And I am overwhelmed and horrified by this. I cannot undo time. I can't even explain to people what I've done. And so I fall into this place where I can't eat, I can't sleep, and I am terrified. I can't pray. I'm terrified to read scripture, and nobody understands what I'm trying to say. Mm. I can't explain this to anybody. They either think I need some sort of med, like there's a med that'll take care of that. Um, that I've fallen into some weird depression, or they try to assure me that I'm the nicest person they know. I'm like, of course I'm the nicest person you know. <laughs> That's I the problem. That's my whole point. <laughs> um, I'm not nice. And, and nobody understood, so I was so lonely. And this goes on for a week. And then Sunday morning, I think, okay, okay. I can read the scripture again. I I can at least do that. You know, I'd I'd fallen into this on a Monday. So now this is Sunday. And the passage is Jacob meeting Esau again. And I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) I can't remember the story. I can't remember what's happened. And I fell on my knees by the side of the bed and I'm reading and I'm shaking. And I'm reading Jacob going, okay, so I think Esau's going to be bloodthirsty. So I'm going to put a whole bunch of animals and they're a gift to him. Like we're, we're going to divide everything in two. And I'm, I'm just going to try to make this right. And I'm going to try to appease Esau, make him happy with me. I'm going to even put my family in order of my preference. <laughs> that no matter how bloodthirsty he is, maybe by the time he gets to Rachel, who I really love, you know, he'll be tired. I don't know. He's just calculating. Hmm. He's calculating how he's going to get out of this. And he sees Esau. Esau sees all this stuff. He says, what is this stuff? You're my brother and I love you. Hmm. And I wept. This is the word of the Lord. What is this stuff you've put here to make this right? You are my daughter and Mm. I love you. And that's my answer to you. And from that point on, I have felt like the sinful woman weeping at the feet of Jesus who cannot believe what he has done for me. Everything's been kind of an unfolding from that. I, I'm just so struck by the, uh, obviously, the power of that story, but reflecting on how many pastors, ministry leaders struggle with that exact thing, yeah. uh, with the, the dryness, with, with the desert feeling, with the 
trying to rescue everybody. Yeah, and then the Messiah yeah. complex, uh, and 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 how you frame that so powerfully that that when we seek to save people, we keep them from the Lord. Mm. It's, it's almost as if we're saying, "You don't really need Jesus because I'm enough." Yeah. And and if we really heard ourselves saying that, would we? I mean, could we believe that? So God working that in, in your life, and now your life becomes a, a continual unfolding of that. How did you see that impact involvement in ministry or connection in, yes. in your walk with the Lord? Um, so so I, I had a career. Um, I, I was, in the words of Roy Yankee, I felt like I was all that in a bag of chips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had fancy titles, fancy suits, fancy stuff. It was it was a job that came with plenty of stuff, plenty of pretty stuff. And when Bayard got his job as a professor at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, it was Grand Rapids Baptist Seminary at that point, we came to the U.S. We'd been in Canada. I was a green card holder. He got the job in March 2002 mm. after September 11th. Before September 11th, we would have driven up to the border and a guy married to a woman with a green card or, or who had had a green card. I didn't at that point because we had been in Canada for 14 years, but we'd been married for 15 years. <laughs> we would have just gone through, but at this point, it was just a mess. So coming here, I couldn't work. Um, I wasn't anybody. We were waiting for me to get my legal status for working. And I went from being a woman with a title to being the professor's wife and my children's mother. Mm. And I went from, we had a life where my, my job enabled us to afford someone who could clean our house. And I remember washing my floors, feeling very satisfied with myself saying, Lord, look at me last year, I was doing million dollar deals and look at how humbly I'm here washing <laughs> the floor. And the Lord said so clearly to me, isn't it nice to do something real that matters? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I was like, okay, that was a reorientation. And so life starts to unfold and I'm mm -hmm. present to what the Lord is doing. Mm -hmm. And I will say I was a very, very competent person in the business world. I got great reviews. I did things on time when I was supposed to do. I am a mother who passionately loves her children. I'm on the way less competent side of that. Um, I'm the mom who forgot that there was the this. I'm the mom who the first day it snows didn't make sure her children had their snow suits and their boots. And now they don't fit and the soccer shin guards are the wrong size. Or they be washed or I volunteer. Like, I just, I, I love my children. I love my husband, but I sit in this constant sense of inadequacy mm -hmm. and everyone else does this better than I do. And nobody's giving me any kind of goal setting. I don't have anything written out for me. And so I just grow in trusting the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really all that that I'm trying, my sister sets up this thing where she says, I think we should fast together once a week. She's in North Carolina. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, I want to fast once a week 
for a whole day and I will feel really holy. <laughs> and really all that I discovered is what a sinner I am. Like I'm looking at Cheerios on the floor thinking, poor housekeeping and how desperate my hunger makes me. And I'm just, again, growing and growing and trusting the Lord. In 2008, I joined a small group run by a woman, Sharon Brown. She and her husband, Jack and Sharon, are, were co-pastors at our church then. They were in the small group that Sean and Amy and mm-hmm. my friend Sue were part of that was so beautiful over COVID. Um, she starts a group on spiritual disciplines. We're the Monday morning group. She ended up writing a book about us. But at that point, we're just sitting with the Lord, hearing the Lord through scripture. So this is September 2008. 2009, my sister's husband leaves her. Hmm. And I kind of glossed over my, I didn't mention my sister. We left India because my sister got polio. I was 14 months older than she is. She was three months old. She was completely paralyzed. My parents were seeking medical treatment for her. I learned to want to become the savior from wanting to to rescue my sister, Mm. my beloved sister. In my mind, there had been that kind of thing going on at the back. We're very much peers. It wasn't that. She's had a son die, medical mistake. The polio was a medical mistake. Mm. And then her husband leaves her and she had recently been diagnosed with post-polio which meant all the things she has achieved, you know, she'd been paralyzed from the neck down, but then she had all these surgeries. She was walking. She went to UVA. She's a Stanford MBA. She'd been doing all this stuff. And then um, she started noticing weakness. So Mm. she's, she's dealing with that, which is now a life sentence. It seems to progressive loss and her husband's left. Mm. And I go to visit Vanitha and I'm horrified because now she's in a state where she can't pick up a shirt off the floor. And she's got teenage young daughters who are angry with her, angry with her that their father has left and life just seems unendurable and I can't do anything. And so I come back and we're doing this practice of sacred reading of scripture And we're reading from Matthew, um, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Take my yoke upon you. And I I burst into tears and say, that's a lie. His yoke is not easy and his burden is not light. That is just a flat out lie. And I'm weeping. I can't bear this anymore. And everyone listens to me. And my dear friend in this group says very quietly, Shalini, you need to resign as your sister's savior. She already has one. Mm. So I come home and have it out with the Lord. Like, Lord, you want to know why I think I'm my sister's savior? You want to know why? Because you have been a lousy savior. That's why. Mm. And I feel the Lord just putting his arm around me like a father with an overtired toddler who's just had a temper tantrum right on the floor in front of them. He's, I'm weeping. How could you make her so weak? 
how could you make her so weak? And he puts his arm around me and says, oh, honey, she's not weak. You're blind. <laughs> wow. I made her, I made her the strongest woman on the planet. She depends on me for every step. She depends on me for every breath. She will stand before the gates of hell and declare that I am enough. Mm. One day you're going to sit with me and the angels and we're all going to laugh that you thought I made her weak. She's strong. Mm. You're blind. Wow. And that changed everything in my walk with my sister. Suddenly, I'm not a rescuer. I'm not her savior. I'm the one reminding her of how the Lord is interacting with her, how he is present, but not her cheerleader. I'm weeping with her at the pain of it. I can be fully present because I don't have to be anything for her. The Lord has got this. He has equipped her. He has called her. He is here and I am just privileged to be her companion on this journey. And she starts writing and I'm editing for her. She's writing because she's in a writing class. And this prof says she should write a memoir. She thinks she's going to write her memoir. They, it's funny. She submits the book manuscripts. And she said, you know, when you get a rejection within 30 seconds of your submission, <laughs> pretty much be assured they didn't write it they're just saying this through my filter of have i ever heard your name before no thank you but no mm. you know no platform thank you but no so then someone tells her she needs to start a blog and she doesn't know what a blog is i'm helping her edit and and here's the fun part about the gift i have in editing for a blog writer i have the attention span of a fruit fly. So <laughs> this that interest me in two sentences or I don't want to read the rest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to read this on my phone unless it's interesting. So, mm. so I contributed that to her writing. A couple months after she starts writing, she feels compelled to write this piece about grace and how we all desire saving grace. We all want the Red Sea to part. We want delivering grace to be rescued out of our, our situation. But none of us wants sustaining grace. We don't mm. recognize it. Manna, day after day. And it's manna that knits us to dependence on the Lord. Being rescued does not. Being delivered does not. And she writes this beautiful piece and she feels the Lord inviting her to send it to Desiring God. And um, John Piper's sermon on Job had had an enormous impact on her after her son had died. Mm -hmm. um, and really bottom line, it was hearing that she is not living God's plan B, but she is living God's plan A. God is Satan, not Satan's cleanup boy, mm -hmm. that God is sovereign. Yeah. So she wanted to send this to the Desiring God website. And the Desiring God people um, 
contact her and they say, number one, we don't accept unsolicited blogs. Number two, we had just talked about the fact that we do want some pieces on suffering. And since this is about suffering, uh, we think we will read it, but we can't tell you when we'll read it. And we may never get back to you. So don't get your hopes. <laughs> and within a week, they had contacted her and said, okay, who's your pastor? Uh, and we want to run this. Mm. And, and she now writes regularly for Desiring God. And she ended up writing a book. Mm. Um, it's a compilation of blogs uh, that Desiring God published, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, mm. How God Meets Us in Suffering. So I'm walking with her in that. I'm in this Sensible Shoes group. I go to this thing called the Soul Care Institute with Vanitha because she wants to go. Yeah, the Lord keeps unfolding things for me. We go to the Soul Care Institute because Vanitha wants to go. And um, when I'm there, I realize how much I have not dealt with my own sorrows. I have walked with people in their sorrow and their suffering. I have not believed that my suffering and sorrow mattered or that it counted when I'm with people who seem to suffer so much more. Mm. And, and I thought, now this, this is right after the Soul Care Institute. One of the things I felt the Lord saying to me was that I had um, kept looking away from sorrow and suffering in my own life, not the sorrow that someone else is suffering, but the pain I am feeling. And he invited me to hold that sorrow and suffering in one hand and taste every bit of it, to not look away from it, not gloss over it, not, I joke, denial is my superpower, <laughs> to not, you know, gloss over and say, but I still. And in the other hand, hold hope. Um, and hope not that things will be fixed, but hope in a living God. And I realized that I had held hope as resignation with a Jesus sticker on it. Like, yeah, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. Hmm. And he's good. So it's kind of a resigned thing to have living hope and, and recognizing that I didn't know how to hold my own suffering. And I did not know how to hope in a resurrected Lord without an answer. And I did that for a year. And the end of that year, I realized that when I thought, I thought by stuffing my sorrow, say in the closet of my house, I made more room for people to come in because, you know, my sorrow is not cluttering up the entryway. Mm -hmm. But I realized that my heart had become a hoarder's house mm. of suffering and sorrow. And there had been no room for anyone else because I had just left all those things in there. And that as I had held them and held the Lord, that my heart had become bigger and that the ways I had hardened my heart to myself and my own suffering, my own sorrow had actually become ways 
that I had hardened my heart to the suffering and sorrow of others. Mm, yeah. And ways I had hardened my heart to the Lord. So when I had said to myself, oh, get over that, I was saying that to other people. And I was believing that the Lord had said that to me. And really, how safe is a Lord who's always saying, get over it? Mm. How trustworthy is a Lord who's saying, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Shut up and move on. Yeah, that, that's actually blasphemy. Mm -hmm. That's a slander on the character of God. And hearts don't harden in parts. Mm -hmm. Hardening my heart to myself meant hardening my heart to the Lord. Mm. So I'm still in that place of if I can receive myself, the parts I like, the parts I don't like, the parts that I, I say, Lord, really? What? Mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. um, I can sit with much more tenderness to everyone, yeah. you know? Trying to make myself a Pharisee just made me treat everyone like a tax collector. <laughs> Understanding that I'm a tax collector makes me able to sit with you where you are. What a powerful um, resonance with, with pastoral ministry or, or any ministry leadership. I, I love the, what I put it out here, uh, duking it out with Jesus, you know, the, <laughs> the willingness to be able to cry out to God in that temper tantrum, but know that you're still held in his arms or find that you're still held in his arms and that so many pastors are just scared to death to do something like that. Mm -hmm. When in fact, that may be the very thing they need to do uh, to make these discoveries. And, and I think I used to tell myself, if I'm thinking this, I'm thinking a lie. So I should shut up and fix this in me. Hmm. And I can't fix anything in me. So there's a release. Yeah. A surrender of that. Yes. And if I'm thinking a lie, only the Lord can reveal that to me. Hmm. So I need to bring myself as I am because I have no one else to bring to him. Hmm. The hmm. only one I have is me. I, I have the me I wish I was. That cardboard cutout girl who's got, you know, Jesus stickers plastered all over. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord goes, uh, what is this stuff you're bringing me? <laughs> Who is this cardboard girl you're, you're wanting me to see? You're my daughter and I love you. Mm. He just keeps saying that to me. And, and that's really my journey. And I keep ending up in all kinds of places where I have the privilege of walking with people and I'm really not qualified in any worldly sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a chemistry degree. <laughs> <laughs> I have a chemistry degree from a good school because I want to be a cardboard cutout smart girl. Mm. I'm a horrible chemist, but I graduated with honors because I will work that hard to not be me. Mm. I will work that hard for worldly acclaim because mm -hmm. I think me is not enough. And now it's, it's not whether me is enough or not. God is enough. Amen. And he has called me mm. and all I have is him mm. and he is enough. 
Shalini, as I'm hearing your story, I'm I, I'm just amazed at at how much uh, really this is embodies biblical lament, the type of fierce faith that it takes to step out from behind that cardboard cutout, and to be raw and honest with God, and even sometimes accuse God, but still hold on to Him in faith, and hear from Him. That, that you're loved and you're cherished and that God is still God and he's still on the throne. Uh, all of this just opens up so much space. I think this is one of the most needed things in the church, especially in America uh, today. And um, I, I just want to explore a little bit. How has opening your heart to the that suffering uh, also opened you up to joy? Because I, I find there's a corollary there. When, when we're raw and honest with God about the pains that we're experiencing, it, it also releases our heart to experience joy. Absolutely. Because, you know, it takes a lot of work um, to not be me. It takes <laughs> a lot of work and energy to keep suffering at bay. And in fact, all my strength goes into you know, I picture it like this concrete bunker that I've poured everything in and I'm sure it's going to be sealed and it's not, it's oozing out. And then I'm sitting on the manhole cover going, no, there's nothing here to see. There's nothing here to see. It's oozing (laughs) out. And I have no strength for anything else. It's a ton more work to pretend I'm not sad, Mm. to pretend that it's all okay. Um, and in, in that state, a Jesus bumper sticker is of no use. Hmm. Yeah, God said, put on a happy face. Yeah, right. Don't be, like, I don't remember that verse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think of Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus. Martha, beloved Martha, runs out and says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she weeps at his feet. She weeps. Mm -hmm. And Mary is just too caught into her grief to come out, to run to meet him. And Jesus can answer them, answer Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. But first you have to name what you have held against him. What is wounding you in your relationship with him? You have to name that because otherwise it's come between us. Mm. And you're no longer safe and you're no longer Lord. I'm thinking you're not safe and you're not good. And I can't trust you. But I know those things are not true. So I'll just pretend I trust you and pretend you're safe and pretend you're good. Mm. And now I'm just exhausted with all this pretending. That wild, fierce joy that comes from the Lord comes from him. When I have poured all this out in truth, you know, my husband's health has not been good. And, you know, those are his stories to tell, but he had to take early retirement. Um, He's the one qualified to teach at the seminary. Um, I am now an instructor at the seminary in spiritual formation. 
I don't even quite know how this happened. And every time someone calls me Professor Bennett, I want to weep because my husband is Professor Bennett. Mm. Professor Bennett, he's not here. And I'm here. And at the same time as I have been so truthful with the Lord about that, I have this incredible joy because so much of how I think about the Lord and ministry and theology is shaped by conversations with my husband whose intellect is fierce and who has taught me discernment uh, that, that I would say Bayard has a ferocious discernment mm-hmm. of one degree off from what is plum. I, I do get to teach with him. I am with him. We are teaching together. And that's a joy. I, that can only happen in the Lord. It doesn't really make sense humanly. And I can have such joy in how the Lord has equipped both of us to be exactly where he has us and to do what he is doing, even as I watch my sister's hands fail. Mm -hmm. She has a memoir that just came out, Walking Through Fire, even as days bring daily losses. This is a joy that I cannot be robbed of because it is in the character of God. And I have found it to be trustworthy because I have tested it. <laughs> yeah, so, so if I don't have to fake it in order for God to be good, then I can actually find out how big God really is. Mm-hmm. And as I have found that, there is joy that I cannot be robbed of. It's, it's beautiful. Um, I mean, counterintuitive, certainly, to, to our own human striving, that, that joy is found through the pain, uh, not in the removal of the pain like we want it to be yeah yeah and the biblical truth of that that this is a refining in fire Mm -hmm. and that god is just so good Mm -hmm. yeah and he's with us in the fire that's Mm -hmm. the thing and and that fire doesn't go away by a certain stature that you would uh, achieve or, or, or degrees or anything like that after your name. And I think pastors so easily fall into that lie that if you've attained the call to pastor, then somehow you've done away with um, that need to grow through pain. Uh, the, the, uh, what we call the redemptive value of pain no longer applies to you because uh, you have the title or you have the position or you have the degree, the stature that somehow protects you from that or, or makes it no longer a requirement that you deal with these things. And, and the reality is, I believe it puts you much more <laughs> into that, that place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think we treat suffering like a course credit. <laughs> Like, you know, I took that course. I don't need to take it anymore. I'm done. You know, I can check the box. I've had Mm -hmm. the suffering. I came Mm -hmm. through it. It was the dark night of the soul. And now we're good. Mm. Um, When, in fact, as image bearers, um, as ambassadors of reconciliation, as God's children, as, as pastors, as shepherds, 
of the sheep in a dark and idolatrous world, we're testifying to the light and we are crying out as ambassadors that the Lord is that the world is not as the Lord would have it be. Mm-hmm. And we stand in the gap. Mm-hmm. So in fact, we should feel more keenly the sorrow of the world as ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Lord, how can this be? And I cry out to you. Mm. We, we feel the pain more acutely because we are his and we are to bring life to, to a dying world. Mm. And, and that is stepping into places of death and darkness, mm-hmm. trusting that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. And not trusting in our our own ability to fix it or to no. to save in it, yeah. No, we represent the Lord here, mm. and and we cry out rightly that things are not as they should be, mm. Mm. and we feel every bit of that. Just as Jesus, I think, is such a gift to his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane Mm -hmm. and let them see his anguish and pain and sorrow that could yet end with not my will but thine Mm -hmm. and that is his gift to us that as he is doing the very thing he was sent to do that he might dread it so much that he would ask if there's a plan B I'm in. (laughs) He knows that's what he came to do. And yet the pain of that moment is that great. What would make us think that as we do what work has been prepared for us, that it would be without pain. So Shalini, You've been you've been talking about uh, just the the path of suffering and the difficulty um, in your own life, and we've we've tried to connect that with with pastors. Um, how how has being part of PIR um, helped you to express um, this this desire, this um, uh, drive uh, to to help others? I'm so grateful for the ministry of PIR and the humble service of every um, man and woman who's, who's working with PIR for accompanying pastors on this journey, because this is a one-on-one ministry. There's no mega about it. (laughs) And, and this word of suffering, you, you can't, cast this out to 10,000 people and then figure it out on your own. And I I think we have a world that um, somehow privileges mega things Mm -hmm. as if those had more influence and more efficacy. And I think the kingdom's work is not like that at all. It is one at a time, humble, trusting in the 
outrageous and outsized work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it isn't about platform or influence or brand or marketing or any of the other things. The PIR way of walking with people is just such a beautiful thing. And, and I feel so passionately about it, that that is in fact the only way we can walk one-on-one, hearing stories, being present, inviting the Holy Spirit in, and letting the Lord do His work. Well, there's something very powerful uh, about having someone to sit with you in those questions. Yeah. Some of us, I guess, do do find the the uh, time alone to be significant, but others find that external processing is a better way of rooting out what's what's inside and having someone to to uh, draw out from uh, is important, but then also knowing that you're not alone and, yeah. and, and how much more power there is in not being alone, perhaps with one other than with a thousand others. Yes. And, and I think we have a problem in America that we think everyone has to figure it out by themselves. Hmm. Um, and that if you're really doing right, it right, you are figuring things out by yourself. Um, this is just not the testimony of scripture. Mm-hmm. This is a, a wrong, a false understanding about the body. And a, we were made to be in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not meant to be every part of the body. And in fact, there are great warnings in scripture about taking other people's roles. Mm. And to stay with what the Lord has entrusted you with, but not feel like you have to be things that other people need you to be, but just sticking with what the Lord has entrusted you with mm-hmm. will naturally mean the body has come around you. Just like me in that group doing um, just so many groups, my life is filled with believers who have spoken into my life, who have walked with me, who have you know, a, a lifelong Emmaus walk mm, mm. where the Lord is with us as yeah. we pour out um, and things become clear. Um, I just can't emphasize enough the body. And I love how PIR really believes that the entire body is needed mm. in all the work of ministry. Yeah, the Christian walk is not a solo endeavor. Yes. Should not be a solo endeavor. You have misunderstood if it is. Yeah, yeah. And and yet how how easily isolation uh, afflicts pastors and ministry leaders because for some reason we think we need to go it on our own at this level. Uh, yes. Because, because no one understands or it would be a sign of weakness if I needed someone else to to uh, be on the journey with me, or uh, I'm supposed to have it all together. Why would I need someone else? And then Jesus wouldn't have had disciples if it was just a one man, like mm. he, he's calling us into a body. And, and I can't say enough how much that sense that I have to do it by myself is actually a form of idolatry. Mm. If you have cut other people out, you are cutting God out too. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you bring such a a richness and a depth. I'm going back to those two words that I shared at the beginning that extraordinarily qualifies you <laughs> to serve in the role that you do with PIR because uh, I, I know just in talking with you today, uh, Sean and I both 
are just energized. Sean, I am appropriately jealous <laughs> and envious <laughs> that you get to spend time with Shalini and Byron yeah. in, in greater quantities than I'm able to, but uh, just how deeply encouraging it is to us as, as we uh, seek to discharge this ministry God's given us. Um, but what, what word of hope or encouragement would you like to share today specifically uh, for those who are listening? Mm. The Lord is able to do more than you can even ask or imagine. The Lord is nearer to you than you are to yourself. Mm. And the word that the angel says to Mary, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. Shalini, it has been such a gift to sit with you again, as it always is. I love every time we have a chance to talk about the Lord. Uh, I, I just, I come away so challenged and enriched, and today is, is, is no different. So thank you so much for taking the time to be part of the Hope Renewed podcast today. Thank you, Shalini. Loved being here with you guys. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that the God of hope may fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.